you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 14. Joshua, chapter 14. Let me tell you kind of what, what God has been dealing with me about, and it comes somewhat out of that song and uh, that we just sang, and the kind of the message of the worship this morning, that we serve the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, holy and anointed and all-knowing and all-powerful. And the question that has been haunting my life over the last few weeks and months is do we live a life that matches what we say and what we sing? I mean, if we believe that the Lord is Lord of lords and King of kings, that He is able to do all that He says that He will, if we believe that there is nothing in this universe that is bigger or higher or mightier than Him, if we believe that He cares deeply for us and that He has our best interest in mind, then shouldn't we be living in a way that courageously exemplifies who God is and what He can do? We're finishing up our discussion on new beginnings. We're talking about starting anew this, this new year. And I want to tell you that this sermon is going to kind of be a bridge between the last couple of weeks and where we're going in the weeks ahead. And I'm really excited about where God is going to take us in the weeks ahead. We're going to be talking in the next three months about two topics, really. One is, how in the world do we break through the barriers in our lives that prevent us from living for God with all that we are? And then when we finish talking about breaking down those barriers or through those barriers, we're going to talk then how do we live in accordance to what God wants us to do? What's our reason for being here? What's the purpose for our existence? And so it's going to be kind of a bridge as today we finish talking about this new beginnings and we're going to be in Joshua again where we were a couple of weeks ago talking about how we move forward in this with courage. The thing that I have come to believe is one of the missing elements in making our lives as exciting and fulfilling and God-honoring as we want them to be and as God intends for them to be, is that we simply don't have the courage to act on what God has called us to do. I was thinking this week about Sunday school as a kid. You remember Sunday school as a kid? Some of you, some of you that's not real hard because you're a kid who goes to Sunday school, right? I mean, I'm not talking about just this last hour, but... As you're older, do you remember Sunday school as a kid and the stories that they would tell, the great Bible stories that you would hear, and the men of God that were in those? You know, it got me thinking about my favorite Sunday school Bible stories. And before I tell you mine, I want you to share with each other what yours is. So turn around, find somebody, tell them your favorite story from the Bible, Sunday school story, lessons, something. Not much talking going on. You can talk. It's okay. All right, now somebody share with me. What's your favorite Bible story growing up? Your favorite Sunday school story? Somebody share with me. What, what was that? Jonah and the whale. There we go. Or the big fish or whatever, right? Okay, Jonah. Somebody else? David and Goliath back there. So Robert with a popular choice. That might be number one on the Family Feud survey if we had one of those, right? What else? Something else. A story that you loved as a kid. Creation. Samson. Esther. For a minute I thought you said Hester. And I said, oh, there's no Hester. 
But then my, you know how your mind takes a moment. We got you. All right. Somebody else. Esther. Noah's Ark. Lowing the paralyzed man through the roof. Miss Linda coming strong with her New Testament. There you go. In our first service, Miss Betty Hall, some of you know Miss Betty Hall, she told she remembers a particular Sunday school lesson when she was a child. Uh, she remembers they did the loaves and the fishes, and her teacher cooked fish and brought it in. But what she remembers is the fish still had the eyes in it and everything. So I don't know if that was a good thing or if it has traumatized her for life. But here's the thing. All those stories you mentioned, David and Goliath, Samson, Esther, all those stories that you mentioned, almost every one of them had someone who had to display an amazing amount of courage. Right? David and Goliath is one of my favorite. What do we love about David and Goliath? I mean, people still love that story today. There is a chance that when you go home and watch the second half of the football game that is currently taking place, if you watch the second half, everybody put your phones down right now. All right, Ms. Brooks. So if you watch the second half, second half of the game that is currently taking place, if you get there and... The team that's not supposed to win pulls off the upset. There is a chance towards the end they'll say, this is a real David versus Goliath kind of story. Right? And whenever teams that aren't supposed to win, have no chance to win, win a game, they, newspapers talk about the David versus Goliath. Well, they, here's what I love about that David and Goliath story. It is. Is, I mean, I love the battle, and I love the, the story behind. He tries to put the armor on. It's too big, and he says, I don't want that. He goes out there with just some stones. Now, when I was a little, I used to think they were little pebbles, but they're not little pebbles. You know that. They're stones about that size. And he slings it around. He gets out there, and Goliath is out there, and he's real confident and probably laughing. Look at this little kid, they said. And David says, I come today to battle in the name of the Lord. That's not all he says, though, right? We cut this out of Sunday school most of the time. What does he say after that? And at the end of this day, I'm going to defeat you. I'm going to cut your head off, and I'm going to show it to my enemies. That's in there, right? What does he do? Defeats him. He then does what? Cuts his head off and picks it up and shows it to the enemies and says, look what my God can do. We, we cut that out of the Sunday school part of the lesson, all right? We don't see those. The, none of, I don't remember Lifeway and Mary making one of those nice little Sunday school paintings of David holding the severed head, right? But he had to show great courage, right? Um, what about, uh, um, somebody mentioned Daniel in the lion's den, right? Daniel in the lion's den, right? He gets thrown into a lion's den. We go, well, of course God's going to protect him. It's God. It's the Bible. It's the story. Daniel's going in the lion's den, but God's going to take care of him. Now, think about being Daniel, God says, if you don't worship like we say you should worship, you're going in the lion's den. And Daniel says, okay. They didn't feed the lions. Remember that whole story? They didn't feed the lions. So they would be especially hungry. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of the prospect of going into a lion's den, I want them well fed. Daniel was courageous. Or his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember them, right? We won't bow down. Well, if you don't bow down, I'm going to put you in the furnace. Well, we serve a God who will deliver us, but even if He doesn't, we will never bow down. 
Exodus, Moses, right? This guy that's a wanted murderer in Egypt goes back to Egypt, goes to the Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And he trusted God not once, not twice, not three times, but multiple times saying, if you don't, this is what is going to happen. Elijah on Mount Carmel, he has the courage to stand up and say, if you don't believe, watch what God is going to do. And he gets all the prophets and they start chanting and he says, what's wrong? Is your God not available? Is he not listening? He's not picking up the phone. He's not attentive to your prayers. What's wrong? What's happening? He starts trash talking. He gets his people. He says, pour water on it. Fire from heaven come. God send it. He trusts God and boom, it happens. Every one of those stories is a story that took a person of God having courage. When he mentioned Esther, she gets this word that her people are in trouble. And that in order to stop it, she has been placed in a position where she can talk to the king. But to go and ask for the king's attention could end in death. And her relative says to her, but for such a time as this... You have been born. And courageously she obeys. Now I say all that to say this. One of the things that I've noticed in life in general is that it seems that the older we get and the more comfortable we become in our faith, the less courageous we become. When I first really kind of got this whole thing about Jesus. When I first really understood this whole thing about Jesus, I was in middle school. I was toward the end of my middle school, and I remember it was literally, I was at camp, and it was like a light went on in my, in my head. It was just like something changed, and, and I got it. I, I don't know any other better way to describe it, but I, I just got it. And I remember going and thinking, well, these are the people that need to come to church. And these are the people I need to talk to about Jesus. And they don't get it. Even these people that are coming to my church, they don't get it. I, I've got to talk to them. And I was just gung-ho. I was talking to people. I was inviting people. We had all, you know, our group had a large class of people that were talking about church. And we had people coming to our church. And we were trying to hit a certain number at our church. And I was going full force into that. And I went and talked to my preacher about what God was calling me to do. And I talked to other adults. And I talked to Sunday school teachers. And some of them were real encouraging, like, wow, God's got a great future for you and all of that. But some of them would say things that would begin the slow decline of me not being courageous. They didn't intend to. I mean, things like, well, oh, that, that sounds like a great idea. But, but, but have you thought about the, the responsibility that you might have if you, if you do that that way? Or have you... Um, have you considered all your options out there? And they weren't trying to discourage me from this. They were just trying to be responsible adults, you know? I mean, we, we just are trying to help you out think through things. And I got in college, and I started learning all this stuff. They're telling me how to be a preacher and how to be a pastor. And, and you learn all this stuff. And before long, you realize you could do all those things they say without the blessing of God or the working of God. And you just kind of begin to trust the system instead of the Lord. And gradually, over time, you realize that you are drifting away from the courageous acts that God's called you to do. Chapter 14 of the book of Joshua. Has a man who never drifted away from courage. This is after the promised land has kind of been taken and they're dividing the land up. He's calling out, he's saying, oh, here's some land, here's some land, here's some land. And we're going to talk about a guy named Caleb, okay? 
And Caleb is an important figure in Scripture because he, when uh, they're back in Numbers, when they're trying to decide how they're going to go into the Promised Land, they get together 12 spies and they say, we want you 12 spies to go see what the land is like. And the 12 spies go out and the 12 spies come back. And as they're getting ready to report to the entire nation about what is over on the other land, they begin to give their report and they start telling these wonderful things. You heard it was a land flowing of good food and there were riches. And it is. And uh, the story, one of my favorite little details in the story is in their report, they have like grapes on a pole. Because the grapes are so big, they have to carry them on a pole. Those are large grapes, all right? And I can just imagine them getting up in front of the whole Israelites and saying, isn't this an unbelievable place? Look what the fruit is like. This is what God has promised us. This is where we're going. And then they say, okay, so what do you think we should do? And ten of the spies say, we can't do it. We can't do it. The people are too big. There are giants in the land. The the walls are too fortified. There, There are too many things that we see that are problems. We can't figure out how to get it done. And there are two guys that say, no, we can do it. And they are Joshua and Caleb. And they say, listen, God told us that we could do this. We must be courageous and do what God has called us to do. We must go. Now, those of you that know the story, who won, the ten or the two? The ten. It says the whole nation decided that everything was too big. And God was not happy with that. He said, every one of you is going to die except for Joshua and Caleb. You're not going to see the promised land. So here we are in chapter 14. Joshua has led the people. Here's where Caleb comes in. Verse 6 says, Now the men of Judah approached Joshua, Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kinsonite. There are a couple of good names for you there. Said to him, You know what Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. Verse 7. I was 40 years old when Moses, servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought back him a report according to my conviction. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. By the way, what's the opposite of courage? Fear. I, however, followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Verse 10. Now then, just as the Lord has promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since that time. All right, so let's do some quick math here. Can you do math? 40 plus 45 is 85. 85. All right. 4 plus 4 is 8. 5 plus 0 is 5. 85. Okay. How many of you in here are younger than 85? Let me see your hands. Okay, so this sermon is not for us, okay? Because this is only for 85 and above. How many of you are 85 or above? We got two, all right, so congratulations. This is just for y'all. No, the point of this sermon is this. You're never too old to be courageous. You're never too young to be courageous. Here's what I love about Caleb. Caleb had been given this, this, um, this, this command by God. Everything's happened in his life. He has watched for 45 years as his people have walked away from God, come back to God. Walked away from God, come back to God. It says in here that he served him wholeheartedly all his life. He has watched as hundreds, thousands, 
millions have died. He's done more funerals than you can imagine. All of his friends except Joshua are gone. He is a man who is 85 years old, and we don't know Joshua's age, but I can tell you this, he's one of the two oldest people alive for this nation. This is what he says. And just in case we can't do math, he tells us his age again. So here I am today at the end of verse 10. Eighty-five years old. You know what I love about the NIV in that? Is they put an exclamation point there. Like he shouts it. Verse 11. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out in battle now as I was then. Give me the hill country that the Lord has promised me that day. Now here's the little tip. The hill country was the most difficult country to take. And at 85 years old, Caleb says, I want what God has promised. Here's the thing. If you're 85 years old, 45 years old, 30 years old, 15, 10, anywhere in between, in order to take hold of what God has promised you, courage will be involved. I couldn't help but think this week, uh, I went to the hospitals and visited, and I visited with uh, uh, a family that has a brand new baby. baby that was less than 24 hours old when I saw the little girl. And then I went immediately from that hospital room to a hospital room of a lady who was in her early 90s, from one to the other. I couldn't help but think of kind of the span of life. I mean, from day one to 90-something. Truth is, many of us in this room will never come close to seeing 90-something. But the Lord has assigned our days. And I wondered if that child on day one, what the life that she would live would look like. I know the 90-something, and I know the life she's lived, and I know the adventurous nature of who she is. And I just wondered about that child. And then I wondered about myself. And I began to think, as I was thinking about this passage of Caleb at 85, saying, I want the most difficult task you can imagine, because I serve a God who is the strongest thing that has ever been. And I asked myself the question, is the path of my life towards being more courageous or less? You see, the problem is, the older we get, the more things we have to lose when we become courageous. Right? The older we get, the more we have to lose. I mean, Jesus told us that in order to follow him, we needed to abandon everything. And the truth is, if you go to somebody on the streets of Calcutta, India, and say, to follow Jesus, you've got to give up everything you have, to the person in Calcutta, India, who has absolutely nothing, that's not a difficult decision when it comes to giving up their stuff. But if you go to the Governor's Club in Brentwood, Tennessee, and say, to follow Jesus, you've got to give up everything you own. That's a different question for those people. And to be real honest, it's a different question for almost everybody in this room. And as you grow older, you you get married. And so now your decisions affect not only you, but another person. And if you have children, 
your decisions now not only affect you and your wife, but your kids. And you have friends, and you get stuff, and you get a career. And before long, acting courageously, there's a lot more to let go of to do. But that doesn't mean God doesn't call us to still act courageously. Caleb says, I'm 85 years old. I'm still as strong today. Give me the hill. One of the reasons we're called to act courageously is because the God we serve is a mighty God. And how we act reflects on Him. I read the story this week of a presentation that was given at a leadership summit in Illinois a few years back by a guy named Jack Gropple. And Jack Gropple uh, has this compound where he trains leaders and people that want to be trained in how to maximize their leadership potential. And he had two groups of people, and he showed the video at the conference. First group of people had were linebackers from the NFL who had got together. They wanted to go to this guy. He heard he was really good. They wanted to get him, see him improve. And so he got them all together, and as one of their training exercises, he says, guys, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take off from this point here. On the other side of the property, through the wilderness, through the woods, is a flag. All you got to do is go over to the other side, grab the flag, and get back. All right, that sounds simple enough. Some woods. He says, before you go, let me tell you one thing. There, there, there have been some spotted areas where there have been some wild boar. And for the next ten minutes, he talked about the dangers of wild boar and what they could do to a human and how, you know, those kind of things. And said, just be careful out there. So he went out and what they didn't know is that, that he had cameras all around filming the exercise. And in particular, he had one guy hiding in the bushes with a camera. And the guy hiding in the bushes with the camera had a device that would make some wild boar snorts. And so they started snorting. And he started scratching with some sticks to make it sound like a rooting. And he said almost every one of those six foot five, two hundred and fifty pound NFL linebackers squealed like a little girl and ran away. He had another group in, CIA operatives. Same thing. Once you go from here, go to the other side, grab the flag, come back. There's some wild boar out there. Be careful. The guy started the rustling and the sounds. And he said almost immediately those CIA guys got in a defensive posture, ready to fight. None of them ran away. Now he said this. That little incident told me more about what they're trained to do than just about anything else. And it reflected on the organization for which they work. Now here's the thing for us. When you find yourself in a situation where the wild boar is starting to snort and the sounds are rustling and danger is at hand, do you run like a screaming little girl like the NFL linebackers? Or do you get ready to stand firm in the knowledge of who God is? Are you courageous in your life? Caleb Comes to the end of his life, or thereabouts. 85-year-old man getting in front of a crowd saying, I'm ready to go. And as I read this passage of Scripture, what I thought is, I want to be a man who at 85, if the Lord allows me to live that long, at 85 is willing to take the hill that God has given me. That the direction of my faith is becoming more and more courageous. That the direction of my life is becoming more and more courageous. Do I have more to lose at 34 than I did at 10? Absolutely. 
Do I have more to lose at 34 than I did at 20? I do. Do I have more to lose at 34 than I did five years ago? Yes. But I cannot let the things that I might lose inhibit me from being courageous and following what God has intended. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what are some of those things that prevent you from following God and how do we break through that. But I just want you to think this week about being courageous. What does it mean for you? I'll close with a story, a story that came out of the Ukraine in 2004. And some of you may be Ukraine aficionados and know all about Ukraine, but this is the first time I'd read this story. In 2004, they had an election in the Ukraine, and there was this guy named Viktor Yashchenko, who was kind of a, an upstart, and he was challenging the, the, nation, the national government, the state government. And uh, exit polls that day showed this Yashchenko was winning pretty handily. Well, when the news came on that night, they had determined, the government-run news had determined a way to get around him winning and had instituted a massive cover-up. And when they came on the news that night, this is what they reported. Ladies and gentlemen, we are proud to announce to you that the challenger, Viktor Yashchenko, has been decisively defeated. Our government is still the same. Just lied. Well, they had taken everything into consideration in this plan except for one part. That was on their television screen. They had down in the left-hand corner a lady who did sign language to interpret what they were saying. The lady who did the sign language decided she would not take part in the cover-up. So this is what she signed. I am addressing all the deaf citizens of Ukraine. What they are saying right now is a lie. They are lying, and I will not translate the lies. Yushchenko is our president. No one in the studio understood sign language, so they didn't know what she had said. In the deaf community of the Ukraine, people began to wear green, or excuse me, orange. I called it the Orange Revolution. They started to wear orange to signify that something was wrong. And began to send text messages and emails and messages through covert ways. And at different times, people would gather at the Capitol wearing orange to signify he is not the king. Yushchenko is our leader. And over the next few weeks, as millions of people flooded the Capitol in Kiev, the government finally buckled, consented to new elections, and Yushchenko emerged as the winner. Now here's the thing. Sometimes we think that courageous acts of one person can't make that big of a difference. But that lady, on that night, made all the difference in the world to a country because of her courage. Now here's the thing. If you would act on what the God of the universe has called you to do with courage, what difference would it make?